All right. Welcome, everyone. To our, to, what? Sorry, go ahead, Doug. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I was going to ask, do our fans know that we're, uh, that we're going live? Well, I don't know if it's going to work yet. We'll find out. This is uh, what we're going to find out. So stand by for that. But at the very least, we're recording. Uh, it looks like it went out oh, what live. A great opening. Me trampling all over you. Hey, I, we're used to that. So welcome to the Stallone Podcast Network. This is where three podcast hosts of their own respective Stallone or Rocky podcast come together to talk about a movie that is neither a Rocky film or a Rambo film. So we're picking his other films from his illustrious career, Sylvester Stallone's illustrious career that we want to talk about. And today we are talking about Get Carter. But before we begin talking about Get Carter, I want to read a couple of reviews from our YouTube channel. So there's good news, bad news, guys. The good news is our YouTube channel is growing. We've got 833 subs, so that's all right. The bad news is, for some reason, people are very angry at our channel. They think that we should be a free streaming service for Sylvester Stallone films. Which is illegal. It is illegal, so I don't know how we would be able to sustain that or make money off that or whatever it is. Not that we're making any money anyways, but... So, you get- well, people don't care about that when they're looking to watch Assassins at 3 in the morning. <laughs> There's ways to get free movies out there. There's ways to do it. And when they stumble on our channel, they get angry. They get angry that there's a podcast that reviews movies. They seem to be foreign to the idea. I don't know. So here's some of the reviews. I'll be PG-13 about it. I had to translate this one from Spanish, but basically called us and dogs, and we should F dogs while we're at it. That was our latest one. <laughs> <laughs> that was Rodrigo Probest Varela. Another one uh, said, a lot of them are different languages. Somebody called this Folkin Bitches. Another one said, Fack, Fack, you Fack, Fack, you Best, Fack. <laughs> some of them just gave the middle finger. We got a wide variety of reviews, but some of them were legitimately like, you guys are good and what have you. And like I said, the subs are going up. People are subscribing to this free streaming service of <laughs> of movies. So today we're going to stream Get Carter for you guys. How does that sound? <laughs> When you hear reviews like this, you, you kind of look inward and maybe maybe we're doing something wrong. Oh, um, yeah. But no, <laughs> I, the, the only thing I can think of is if they see the title of the episode and it says Assassins, maybe they're going to expect to see Assassins. But what if we put like review after the title? It definitely it says something to the fact that we're covering the movie that we're covering. Yeah. It definitely doesn't say like Assassins HD rip. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, somebody said clickbait. They actually accused one of our videos of being clickbait because I showed the thumbnail of the movie that we're reviewing. If that's clickbait and the title actually says Grudge Match Movie Review, I don't know what else we have to say. But anyways, it, this is the Get Carter Movie Review, and let's uh, let's get going. Get Carter came out in 2000. Uh, as we always do, let's talk about when we first saw the movie. Do you guys remember when you first saw Get Carter? It came out in 2000, if you can believe that was 20 years ago. Yeah, I wow. saw it in the theater. I did not. Well, we knew that Doug never sees any of Sylvester Sloan's movies in the theaters. Uh, well, I don't see many movies in well, the theater. This, this was kind of a big deal because this was like right around, and I didn't do any the research that I ho- hopefully you guys did so you can carry me through this. But this was that period, odds are if you wanted to see a brand new slime movie, you were getting it on home video the day it came out. Big theatrical release like Get Carter was kind of a big deal. Like I remember we were pretty excited about. Yes, I agree. This came out three years after Copland. Copland was a critical darling. It did well with critics. Most people liked it. Nobody thought it was a terrible film. It had a great cast. We've reviewed that film on this channel. We all liked it. We thought Sloan's performance was great. It was a backdoor type performance and everything. 
Craig or Doug, do you have any indication as to why Sly's career after Copland just went almost as fast as it went up in praise? It disappeared again. Why? I believe the answer lies with uh, Mr. Harvey Weinstein, who's currently serving time at Rikers. I believe the Weinsteins did Stallone dirty. They made him promises that weren't kept in terms of future movie projects after Copland. And I believe that he was just done dirty by the Weinsteins. And you know the powers Harvey Weinstein had. Completely feasible to see how a Harvey Weinstein could stymie somebody's career, even somebody as big and successful as Sly. I believe there's a big story there, and hopefully one day we hear it, because that's the only thing that makes sense to me. You know, with Copland, he showed that he could go in a different direction. Maybe critics and fans alike were thinking like, okay, this is a new direction that Stallone is going in. He's getting older. That action star thing is possibly behind him. But then right after Copland, he comes out with this, and it's, oh, here we go, another Stallone action film that we've seen a hundred times in the 90s. Well, not entirely, Doug. He did do other movies before this. I know one of them was ICU or Detox. Doug, so yeah, you're right, Doug. He only did two movies after this. One of them was Ants, which we can't really consider. That's a cartoon. And then he did Detox. It looked like Driven, and then Detox was after that. Or ICU, whichever you prefer. At least what I'm seeing is 97 Copland, 98 Ants, 99 Detox, 2000 Get Carter. I got 2002 for ICU. Yeah, I have that too. I, I'm looking at IMDb. Detox. Get Carter came out in 2000, and then it was oh, Driven, okay. then it was ICU, then it was Avenging Angelo, and then it was Shade, then it was Spy Kids 3. So really, we're talking about from a three to... F- Wikipedia is wrong, by the way, guys. Oh, that's weird. Detox listed as 99. It's really disheartening to see so many wasted years during this time of Sly. He's 54 when he did get Carter. And, of course, he doesn't look like your average 54-year-old. He's in great shape. He's taking care of himself. Basically, from get Carter to Rocky Balboa in 2006, there's a six-year period there where what he produces is crap. You know, it really is garbage films. And then nothing really does kind of happen in his career. He goes from basically from Copland, if you really want to get down to it, Copland in 1997 until Rocky Balboa's 2006. It was the Rocky Five of his career. He was done. I mean, it was a really tough time to be a, a Stallone fan. I mean, it, it wasn't just him, though, either. I mean, Arnold was going through the same kind of pains. I mean, he made a lot of garbage movies around this time, too. Was that the nature of films at the time? Was there just a change? Is this like. I was just going to ask, like, what was popular now at this time? 2000, so Lord of the Rings and Star Wars were big right about now. It's funny to think that, you know, a guy in his early 50s uh, would be considered old, but it was one of those things where I think Sly and Arnold were both considered, quote-unquote, too old to be action heroes. As great as Sly looks in this movie, what, five years later, six years later, he was filming Rocky Balboa, where he was considered an old man. Yeah. I saw this in the theaters, Get Carter. This was, of course, three years after Copland. So me as a big Sly fan, I think I even saw Ants in the theaters because I was so desperate to see a Stallone film. And CGI films back then were new and they were kind of big. And so it was was kind of cool to see a a movie like Ants in the theaters. And I thought it was great that he took a stab at a family-friendly film. Oh, come on, Ryan. You know the real reason is he wanted to go in the studio in his sweatpants. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't have to go show up on set all buff and... He still worked out. You know he still worked out. So Get Carter comes out. Did you guys watch the trailer after you saw the film? 
No, I didn't watch the trailer. So I watched the film last 24 hours. I should say that first. I watched it again just recently for the for this uh, podcast episode. I don't know if I've seen it since I saw it in the theaters. Maybe once. I think I had it on DVD, so out of courtesy, I probably watched it at least once on my DVD back when I got it in 2001, maybe. And I know I owned the DVD, but I remember it sitting on my shelf for ages, and I ended up selling it back in the day, like at a garage sale or something. And I have never revisited this film. We've said this before with a couple of the other Stallone films that we've reviewed, and this is one of the ones where I'm like, oh, now watching it again, spoiler alert, I can see why I never revisited it. I can see why 20 years ago Ryan didn't feel the need to rush back to it, like, I, like I've done with Copland, for example. Yeah, but you know what the problem is, Ryan? And it's, it's something that really disappoints me about this show is you get all excited about a movie we're going to cover, Assassins, perfect example. <laughs> Assassins was a movie that I held in such high regard for so many years because I hadn't seen it since I was 22 or whatever when it came out. And I watched it again, and it was dog shit. Get Carter was a very similar experience for me. It was a movie I actually dug out the DVD to watch it for this. It's got the big used previewed sticker on it for Blockbuster. I got it in August of 2001 at Blockbuster previewed for $6.99. It sat on my shelf until uh, I dug it out of a box from when I moved to watch it yesterday. And I probably watched it, you know, the day I got it previewed at Blockbuster. And I'm pretty sure I overpaid. Before we start breaking down the film and parts that we like or didn't like or what have you, when I watched the trailer after the film, I thought, I'm going to go watch the trailer. And boy, the trailer, that looked like a great movie. <laughs> I, I can't wait to see that get Carter. Kudos to the trailer maker. And I know that's their job to sell the movie. But anyways, let's go into the specs of this film. This film was directed by a fellow named Stephen K. Have you ever heard of this guy, Stephen K.? No, but I looked him up, and he's got quite an impressive resume or uh, a couple of notches on his holster, if you know what I mean. Yes. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I know. I want to know who the Stephen K guy is because you're absolutely correct. So this dude from New Zealand, he's currently – we don't know his exact age according to Wikipedia, but he was born in 63, so he's 56 to 57 years old right now. He dated Terry Hatcher and Eva Longoria in their prime. From the Desperate Housewives days. He was married to Piper Paraboo from, what, Coyote Ugly, and she did a show on USA called Covert Affairs. No, he's still married to her. He married her in 2014. Oh, okay. So do you think he did in his head, he did like an F, marry, kill? Oh. And he was like, I'm going to marry Piper Paraboo. He F, Terry Hatcher. Maybe he killed Longoria. I don't know. I don't know what he looks like, but he's either (laughs) handsome, rich, or... Well, it looks like after he, you know, had the get carter experience it looks like he pivoted to tv he's currently does a lot of directing on that new kevin costner tv show called yellowstone which i actually want to see okay so that's stephen k the director not a big film career more of a big tv career get carter was based on a novel by ted lewis called jack returns home yes and it was also a film with michael Caine in 1971 or whatever that's right yeah a remake right yeah anytime something's based on a book Uh you know it's dicey the book is not named Get Carter, and both movies are named Get Carter. So in this one, it seems like they were definitely capitalizing on the success of that hot Michael Caine movie from 1971. Right. That's a good point, Craig. I was going to say, what is it a remake of? Is it a reinterpretation of the book or the movie or both? Spoiler alert for those who have not seen the in Get Carter with Michael Caine, his character, he actually dies in the end of that film. It's a much darker film. Oh, wow. It's a much darker film. Apparently, it starts dark and ends dark. It's probably better to watch this get Carter 
and go back and watch the original. Mm-hmm. That, that might be a more pleasurable experience. Has Stallone ever died at the end of one of his films? Uh, hmm. Mike Kund is yelling at his podcasting <laughs> device right now. He's saying, no, you idiots. You know, I like to think he died at the end of Last Blood. I don't care what anyone says, but... Thankfully, Last Blood Part 2 will prove you wrong. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and then the writer of this film, now, granted, he, he adapted the screenplay from a book and a movie, but he wrote American History X, David McKenna, Blow, and SWAT. And he's currently a professor of arts at, at some college right now. I had no idea who this guy was. Well, you've heard of American History X, of course. Yeah, I didn't know that it was that. I, I don't know how big even that movie was. American History X? Yeah, was it huge? Critically, it was. It's got one of the greatest scenes in cinema history. Don't say it. I I can't even... (laughs) Don't say it. No, not the curb stop. Not the curb stop at all. There's this amazing moment between Ed Norton and... Edward Furlong? Eddie Furlong, where Ed Norton's talking about how in prison he was raped, and he Mm -hmm. goes through this really serious, emotional, moving discussion about being violated in the shower... And they cut back to uh, present time, and Eddie Furlong looks at him and says, I'm really sorry that happened to you. <laughs> like, what do you say? <laughs> That's weird. That's not a repeat viewing type movie for me. Oh, I've seen it a bunch. <laughs> oh, really? You like it, eh? What does that say about me? <laughs> it's a fully shot movie. If you look up Tony K, the director, I mean, he's a true independent spirit. Ed Norton is also kind of a fiercely... A guy who's very into his point of view, too. So when you get two guys like that, mm-hmm. it makes for an interesting film. I've seen American History X a ton of times. Hmm. But I understand Ryan's point, too. There's certain films that you see once and you don't need to see again just because of the, sure. the subject matter or the way it makes you feel. People say that about Schindler's List. It looks like somebody waved to us, Ryan. Aaron? Aaron, thanks for watching. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hopefully he didn't tune out already. Oh, probably. <laughs> How nostalgic did you guys get when you saw the Franchise Pictures logo? They're not a company anymore, are they? No, it was that dude, Eli Samaha, something like that. He also produced Driven, but I believe there was some kind (laughs) of legal scam surrounding Franchise Pictures, and I think Stallone lost a bunch of money on that as well. Yeah, Sly, can't catch a break with the studios, can he? That's why he started Balboa Productions. So he could rip other people off. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Want to take it into his own hands. Do you guys know who Robert Browning is? This movie starts with the quote, That's all we expect of man, this side of the grave. His good is knowing he is bad. I thought he was the Did- guy that directed that movie Freaks. That's Todd Browning, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're going to quote the guy that directed Freaks. The punctuation confused me here. The way you just read it, Ryan, it makes sense. But the way that I was reading it, it I had no idea what the hell this was trying to say. Right. No, it's his not very clear. Good, his good is knowing he is bad. I don't even know what that quote means. Deep. Yeah, I went online to like look up an interpretation of it, and there really wasn't much that I could find. I think it's stupid. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, that's actually the problem with this movie. Right off the bat, it tells you that it's going to try and be this serious you know, exploration of seemingly bad people doing bad things. Mm-hmm. Or bad people attempting to do good things. The movie opens up with Carter chasing down some... You could tell he's a mobster or some sort of gambler or whatever have you. And Yeah, in downtown Las Vegas. That's Fremont Street. You got the Binions. They're out front of the Golden Nugget there. Yeah. When you guys come to uh, Vegas, we'll go down to uh, Fremont Street. We'll get some fried Oreos. All right. 
Can Mark I say, Boone Jr. Yeah. 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 Do you watch Sons of Anarchy? Yeah. Or Scrubs. That's yeah. John C. McGinley. Stallone plays a character called Z- Jack. Jack Carter. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. I you want- don't want to know him. No, but we do. <laughs> Let's uh, play a little bit of this scene here where Jack Carter's beating up this guy for whatever reason. Jack Carter's, I guess, wingman in the gang or whatever, whatever you want to call it, organization that he works for. John C. McGilney, he plays a guy named... Con- Doesn't um, matter. Connie? <laughs> it matters. So John C. McGinley plays Con McCarty. I love his first name is Con. Uh, I get it. And so he's kind of like a fast talker. I love John C. McGinley and his character in this. I like the animated and fast with the quips. That's what he's good at. Let's listen to Khan talk here for a second. He, I'm so not buying this. It's not even funny, King Wasabi. He's my brother, Khan. He's my little brother and he's dead. He left a wife and kid up there, so I'm going. I owe him that. Let me get this straight. Now you owe him? Here's the bad news, sports fans. It's a little late. I'm not a dumb guy. I don't think I am. But I actually had to refer to the Wikipedia plotline a couple times to kind of follow who's who in the zoo and why Jack Carter is the way he is to these individuals. Throughout the movie, and we'll get to some of these characters, I'm like, how does he know this person from the past? What's his connection? He knows Mickey Rourke's character, let's say, for example. He, He knew him. They have a history. They're having this conversation in Seattle. And the only reason why Jack Carter has gone to Seattle from Las Vegas is because his brother was killed in Seattle. Look at the title of the book that the movie's based on. It's Jack's Return Home. Obviously, Mm. he had a big life that he left behind to go become a lucrative Vegas enforcer. I don't think he went out to Vegas, an honest guy, and became a mobster's muscle. He was probably involved in that to some degree at home. You also see that the Mickey Rourke character, what Cyrus or whatever his name is, the business he's involved in is new to Jack. It almost seems to me like they were doing street level shit together. Right. Um, and then, you know, Jack went off to Vegas and did what he did. And then Cyrus sort of pivoted into the uh, CD underbelly of the internet. Yeah, Seattle doesn't seem like a big time market for uh, underground crime. Is that just me? I think there is in Seattle, believe it or not. Any large city will have it. I hear what you're saying, Craig, about the book. I, I don't know how much of it's based on the book. It took place in a different part of the world. They could have easily said, hey, this used to be your hometown. You and Rich were close growing up, and you guys were tight growing up, and you and you helped each other even through when that you were doing that you're not supposed to be doing. But then you left for the bigger Las Vegas money and all this stuff. Did I miss that kind of dialogue? We didn't know what his connection was to Seattle watching the movie. No, no. I think there was a lot of unanswered questions in this movie. If you look at the plot, though, it's it's pretty straight line from beginning to end, at least in terms of how it it unfolds. Jack learns his brother dies. Jack goes and asks Michael Caine who did it. Michael Caine lies to him. He goes to Cyrus, gets in a mix-up with Cyrus, goes to Alan Cumming, you know, and then rinse, repeat, and then we get to the end of the movie. Everybody yeah. kind of just blames one another <laughs> in a circle. I mean, there's no mystery, really. I mean, aside from the reveal of what happened to Rachel Lee Cook. I think we've just said the plot very well. I don't think we have to go through this movie necessarily, like, point by point. We can talk about just different parts of it. Uh, well, do you guys want to talk about Sly Shark Skin Suit? Well, that's why I started doing the two-minute synopsis, because we don't really need to go bit by bit through the movie. Okay, go ahead with that then. Yeah, so, go. I got Jack Carter, an enforcer for Las Vegas mobster, is traveling home to attend the funeral for his brother Richie, who died in a drunk driving accident. 
At the funeral, Jack meets his niece, Doreen. Doreen tells Carter that her father wouldn't drink and drive, which raises some suspicion in Carter. He also meets Richie's friend, Eddie, who Jack starts asking questions about Richie to. He starts looking into his brother's affairs and finds that Richie was involved in a porn ring with producer Cyrus, who is Mickey Rourke's character. Jack finds a disc that shows women being drugged and raped by Eddie and another friend, Geraldine. One of these girls happens to be Richie's own daughter, Doreen. Jack goes on a man-on-fire-style rampage and takes care of everyone involved in his brother's death before driving off into the sunset. Have you ever seen that uh, Spider-Man meme where it shows three different Spider-Mans pointing at the other Spider-Man? Yeah. Yes. That's this movie. (laughs) Picture Jack Carter. Picture him in the middle. And he's asking each Spider-Man, who is responsible for killing my brother? And they're all like, hey, it's, it's that guy. The big reveal, of course, is it's the Michael Caine character. And it should be noted that Michael Caine, when he was originally filmed, and they did a test screening, I guess, or some sort of early, early test screening, and audiences loved seeing Michael Caine in the film so much that they actually reshot and added scenes to this movie and made him the bad guy at the end. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It was more like a fun little cameo. Yes. I think the idea originally was that Kane was going to do a nod, a wink, maybe. Stallone and Kane actually have a professional relationship or friendship due to their time filming Victory together. Victory, yeah. That's why uh, Michael Kane decided or agreed to doing this film. Not that Michael Kane is opposed to doing schlocky films. He's done his fair Jaws, share. Jaws, the revenge. <laughs> I admire that about Mr. Uh, Sir Michael Kane that he he's not opposed to doing schlocky type or silliness type movies and he actually brings as he will do his a acting game to this film what do you think of his acting in the film michael kane you know what you're getting with him he's not a guy that's gonna completely transform himself like daniel day lewis or anything which is no disparaging of michael kane's talent as an actor i think he's got a very very direct kind of smooth acting style i always enjoy seeing him on screen if you haven't watched it in a while watch him play austin powers dad and that last Austin Powers movie, just a comedic tour de force. Agreed. Hey, we're just, uh, Doug, we're just talking about Michael Caine and the fact that he did such a great job on his cameo that apparently the early test screenings were of such that audiences wanted more of him. So they actually rewrote the film to make him mm-hmm. the, the twist at the end. I was wondering if his involvement in the first place was and not to the first film, a cameo in that respect. That's it for sure. He just really wanted to work with Stallone again because they worked together on Victory. Yeah, for our listening for our listening audience, Doug went to go and he left the camera and we had this whole discussion in his absence and now he's come back in. Welcome to the conversation, Doug. Hey, thank you. <laughs> anyway, I heard he wanted to work with Stallone again since then. We have an issue here again. We've had this before with some of Stallone's films is we have a clash with the director and the studio of the tone they want the film to be. The studio kind of wanted a generic action film from Mr. Action himself, Sylvester Stallone. And I think he might have been kind of looking for a return to that action type film. This film had scenes of it with a car chase, the fight in the elevator, but a very low body count. It was dark in some places, but it wasn't. And it had some you know cheesy one-liners, but then it didn't. Again, it's another disjointed, it couldn't pick a tone. Did you guys find that too? Yeah. Sylvester Stallone actually signed on after reading the original screenplay, which was much more violent and focused more on the revenge aspect of the story. I guess while he was already signed on, the script went through all these changes and became the toned down version that you're talking about. 
there were some times when I legitimately laughed, and usually it was mostly at John C. McGinley. Yeah, it had trouble like sticking to one tone. The one thing that's funny is when you watch a movie the year it's made, you know, like in 2000, we were used to certain kinds of visual information being sent our way in film. But it's so funny to see how stuff like that ages. And, you know, we talked about Assassins, how Assassins is like the quintessential 90s movie. This movie is a perfect example of early 2000s filmmaking. Got those retros of off-kilter Batman shots, mm-hmm. the skip yeah. editing, the dated music, using music from the late 90s and the early 2000s instead of traditional score in certain scenes. Just made this movie really feel its age. It didn't feel timeless. Certain good movies, Rocky, for example, you know, was made in the 70s, but you watch it, it's a movie that takes place in the 70s, but there's nothing about it that screams the year it was made. And this film does that. And it's really hard when a film sort of reminds you of the era it was made in. It's obnoxious. The score, I should say, in particular, and we're talking about the music and the music aging the film. I watched this and I felt like, oh boy, here we go, new metal Fight Club kind of ruined that. It came out in 1999, so just one year before this film. Fight Club kind of had that Dust Brothers, that techno, whatever, metal-type intro, and they try to do it here with Get Carter, the same idea. You have this weird editing and different lenses, and let's just listen to some of the music here that we're talking about. But techno... It doesn't age very well. No, and the chase, the chase scenes and the fight scenes, it's really brought to the forefront. So, what do you guys think of uh, Sly's goatee? And the, was this the first film that he that he wore one that we were aware of? If you don't count Nighthawks, he had that Van Dyke, right? Mm. He had the full beard, Nighthawks. Didn't he, he did. You're right. I've never liked it on Sly. I think he looks better with the beard, like he's doing now with Samaritan. Yeah. Well, you know that he has to, like, manicure it, right? Like, he's got to keep it just a certain length. Before he goes out and does his butt kicking every day, he takes out his trimmers. He shaves the side of his cheeks, under his chin, and he takes out his little trimmer. Keeps it that same length throughout the film. But you know what's died, too? He's 54, and he looks great. I wish he kind of always just went natural with everything. I wish he never touched his face. I wish he let the hair be what it is. Because I think Arnold did a better job of that through much of his years. Just be gray, be a little bit weathered. Or Clint Eastwood, for example. The manly men of a film, when they kind of embrace their age and make that part of just their look, I think you can embrace that and still look tough and be tough. Yeah. you think he ever had any hair work done? Oh, absolutely. Oh, you're adorable, Doug. (laughs) Look, I'm blessed with a full head of hair. So, so, well, sort of, I I guess, sort of, my wife shaved it Yeah, you're getting a little thin up top there. No, I'm not. (laughs) I'm just kidding. How dare you? I hope at 54 that my hair is as thick and luscious as Stallone's. I didn't know if some people just have that. They have a good head of hair throughout. If you go back and look at some of the Rocky Three stuff, and he has hair now where he didn't before. Mm-hmm. I could oh, be wrong. Okay. I could be wrong. His look for the Samaritan film right now, he's he's very gray. And that hair became gray, too. So I, I know they can do uh, transplants or additions. I'm not sure. He's worth $500 million. He can afford getting his hair did. I like that he's... You know, leaning into the more natural Stallone. At some point, he stopped the plastic surgery. People that have it done throughout their life, they grow old and they look like a doll because their face doesn't move. He at some point stopped, so he's aged uh, how he should. But whatever surgery he had back in the days didn't any lasting issues where it makes him look completely fake. 
So speaking of plastic surgery, let's uh, talk about uh-huh. Mickey. <laughs> great segue. <laughs> let's talk about Mickey Rourke. He's great. Well, he's, he's another guy that didn't take advantage of a, of a key opportunity. Remember how hot he was when The Wrestler came out? Yeah. And then he did Iron Man 3 and then everybody, or Iron Man 2, and then... The Wrestler was his return after having so many personal issues, right? Yeah, it was one of those movies that sort of mirrored art mirroring life. He was a boxer for a few years or whatever it was. And apparently, according to him, he got reconstructive surgery for his face because of the boxing injury. And may I say to you, Mr. Rourke, you should have taken your chances with the broken nose or whatever you thought you had. Because there's no way that your surgery or plastic surgery is a better fix than just having your face heal. Does every UFC fighter get plastic surgery after a fight? Have you seen some of those faces after those UFC events? They are just pumpkin Mm -hmm. faces. They don't get plastic surgery on their face. Am I being naive here? Help me out. No, you're not. The thing with Mickey Rourke is... he was, as a young actor, I mean, a really, really, really handsome guy. And then you, you look at him now and age aside, it's weird. And here he was kind of in that middle stage. He probably yeah. had a little bit of surgery. And then you get that really weird scene, though, between him and Sly, where Sly's like, let me see your let me see your eyes. And he takes the glasses off and he says, am I still pretty? It was a weird moment. That was a callback. Let's hear the Mickey Rourke and Sly exchange. Now, these obviously co-starred again together in the Expendables film. Did they have a working history before this film? Like, I couldn't remember off the top of my head. I know Mickey had a working relationship with Frank Stallone. They had done, a, what, Barfly together? Sly and Mickey Rourke were good friends before this. And it was Sly's job to make sure Mickey showed up every day and behaved because he was in the middle of, of like his drug addiction and shit. So they did have a, a relationship. I don't know if they worked together before this, though. Enough that Sly's like, no, no, I really want him to play uh, Cyrus the Virus here. and uh... <laughs> <laughs> Wrong movie. Oh, okay. Tell you something, Jack. You well, see all this shit here? You see it? This is the new world, brother. I'm online. These are my girls. My business. Why are you running around chasing deadbeat? Swimming in the big pool, baby. I got the juice around here now, Basically, his role in this film is he's the guy that gets the woman for the Alan Cumming character. So Alan Cumming, we haven't introduced his character yet. He's a computer mogul. He's worth $900 million. He apparently doesn't want anything to do with the pornography industry. He either financed financed it or provided the software. Oh, maybe it's the software. Now, this is really quaint because this is 2000. It's kind of the early days of the pornography, as we know, drives the internet technology. It's kind of, it is what it is. We're seeing the here quick little images or stills of you know, one of the scenes there. It's a terrible teens. I think that's what it said there. <laughs> Sorry. This early day of the internet providing this um, plethora of nudity for the masses was kind of quaint, almost deep webbish back in the day, where it's now, it's like a McDonald's drive through, but. Doug's like, I know. <laughs> it's terrible teens. Is that, is that your favorite uh, spot to go to? or No, 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 no. No, I stay away from the teens. Yeah, okay. Who wants to get a visit from uh, law enforcement by uh, <laughs> typing that into their browser? They're watching. Yeah, they're watching. Because of Get Carter. Can you imagine? While she's on screen, can we talk about uh, Rona Mitra or something? She really surprised me because I completely forgot she was in this movie. But did you guys ever see a movie from like 2010-ish? called Doomsday. It was like an Escape from New York ripoff yeah. crossed with Mad Max. Well, she plays the lead in that movie. She's got an eye patch and everything. Awesome movie. If you have a chance, check it out. It's called Doomsday. It was directed by um, Neil Marshall, who uh, 
he directed a bunch of Game of Thrones, but hmm. theatrically he did uh, The Descent, I think it is. I've seen that one. Yeah, yeah. Really fun movie, though. It's uh, like post-apocalyptic, and she's great in it. I had completely forgotten she was in Get Carter because she's pretty forgettable in this, but <laughs> in Doomsday, she's awesome. Did you ever see Life of David Gale? I have purged every Kevin Spacey movie from my memory. Ooh. Right. Well, that's one of them. It was a student of his that was trying to uh, blackmail him. I think her character's name was like Berlin or something like that. She was really, really cute in that. Really good looking. Was it that Kevin Spacey was gay? What, in the movie? Yeah. He was, I, I, was he I, gay? It was, no. <laughs> Is he oh. gay? Oh, it's uh, <laughs> in real life? Yeah. <laughs> Did he come out of the closet? I didn't know that. <laughs> Is Harvey Weinstein innocent? Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. We're going into worst of the best territory. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, she's great. She played a good, strung out, too bad for her, wrong place, wrong time, individual in this whole mess, this uh, pornography ring. Great mm-hmm. wigs. Yeah. As we s- saw later, uh, Carter pulls one of them off in the later scene, pulls her off her head. Now, what are your guys' feeling on that sequence where Carter tries to extract information from her regarding her friend Eddie, who was friends with Richie. We did acknowledge what this plot's about. I feel like we're doing a horrible job describing this movie. I, You'll fix it in the edit. Well, no. This one, I don't think I can oh, fix no, it. We don't know. <laughs> the problem is we don't really, we can't, it's hard for us to follow the plot. If you haven't seen Get Carter, at the end of the day, yes, Carter's brother got killed by these people because he was going to expose, basically, he was going to expose that his daughter and Carter's niece got raped during a... Uh, what do you call it? Uh, was it was it filmed for the internet or was it somebody filmed it? That was their brand, right? They would trick these girls or drug them into coming back to some place with them and have their way with them. Yeah, and now Rachel A. Cook, who plays the niece, she was twenty during the filming of this film. She does look like she's sixteen. Uh, did you ever see that movie? Uh, she's all that. Yes. Did you know that if you wear glasses, you're ugly? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's all. You take your glasses off and let your hair down. All of a sudden, you're a prom queen. Yeah, just again like Adrian from Rocky. Take off those glasses. That's right. Do you guys want to talk so about the, uh, that scene where Sly interrogates her? Well, is that the one that you said took a cue from Rocky? Did you watch the video that I made? I saw the clip come up in the movie when uh, you know, and I was like, oh, this is the scene Ryan was referring to. Did you add some music or something? I know. I dialogue underlaid the first date scene of the Rocky film. Underneath, oh, <laughs> when she's trying to leave, <laughs> yeah, it's like I thought oh, it was I'm- very good. It didn't get the traction I thought it deserved. I don't know if people actually listen to it because when you listen or watch and listen to the clip, you have the Rocky Adrian sound scene <laughs> underneath of the scene where he's trapping this girl. Yeah, it actually lined up really well where he tells Adrian, "You have nice eyes," and he's actually Carter's holding up her face, looking at her eyes. So I don't know. Oh, I'll have to go back and uh, <laughs> and watch that. I'm never a fan of like a man cornering a woman. If a girl feels trapped or, you know, like she's being confined or something like that always gets me a little jittery. Here's the scene. And I know the Carter's the tough guy. I know he's looking for the killer of his brother. I understand that. Even during this part right now, he doesn't know that his niece has been raped. He's just an angry, tough individual. And I get that's the character that he is. He's a mob enforcer. He enforces, yeah, what the mob wants for him to do in Las Vegas. He's not a saint. He's an amoral or uh, what do you call it, a dark hero. But that being said, this girl, 
even if she has something to do, we know that he can break her in half. And he gets right in her face. And it's a very uncomfortable. If I was the director of this film, I might have shot it and directed it a little bit differently. She ain't going anywhere. She's obviously pathetically, she's a strung out sex worker. Check out this uh, kind of aggressive scene here. What was he to you? I met him at the bar. He was just a guy I met. That's all. That's all. He was nicer than most. Did you know he was married? Did you know that? What do you want? Right there. Like it's about a kisser or I something. Talked to him, okay, it's not a crime. I gotta be somewhere. I wanna know what happens. Now, if you didn't know the dialogue, that's why I put the uh, Adrian and Rocky scene underneath here, because it totally reminded that when he puts the hand out and she can't, quote-unquote, get away. Yeah, yeah. Because in this scene, he is trapping her. He is making uh, no bones about it that he doesn't want her to go away. And he's, he's intimidating her without, you know, quote-unquote, laying a hand on her, but creating a, uh, an area of danger. But all the same, that's his character. He's a, he's a mob enforcer. This, he's not a nice guy. The anti-hero. Right. You know what the body count for this film is? Did anyone do a body count? By Carter's hands? One? Five? Not even five, is it? I think it's two. Hmm. Even the two mob guys that got crashed their car, that's not a car crash that would kill two people wearing a seatbelt. No, no, I assumed it was just the one at the end when he shoots somebody in the back. He actually threw Eddie off the balcony. Oh, yeah. Well, Eddie killed himself. Come on. (laughs) Didn't he kill Cyrus, too? I know he held a gun up to him, and then I thought there was, like, a gunshot. It was a transition, Eddie, and he kind of a donk. A heavy sound, but it wasn't a gunshot. It was ridiculous. So stupid. He should have. <laughs> Can I bring it back to the cat piss comment? Speaking of Cyrus. Yeah, go ahead, please. Craig was talking about him pulling uh, Cyrus's sunglasses off and wanted to look at his eyes. And uh, Cyrus says, still pretty. And he says, yeah, like cat piss in the snow. You just think about where you are. Because this ain't yesterday, Slick. Relax. I'm just playing with you a little bit. Oh, yeah, I get that. Here. Don't put your hands on me. Come on, let me see your eyes. Come on. Whatever turns you on, Jack. Still pretty? Yeah. Like cat piss in the snow. It it was such a random line that that I felt like I had to research it a little bit. It's a callback from the Michael Caine's character in the original. He's talking to another guy removes his sunglasses and goes still the same piss holes in the snow the phrase eyes like piss holes in the snow is like an old english phrase meaning deeply sunken or squinting eyes and it's most commonly used to describe somebody after a hangover oh the insult makes more sense for the scene absolutely with no explanation like what what the hell does it mean you know there were people in the theater that had seen get carter in 1971, and they were like, oh, my God, they did it. <laughs> call back. <laughs> what a great callback. <laughs> and this, again, is Mickey Rourke. And I've noticed this when you watch him in any film since his messed up surgeries, especially it's this one. This is the beginning of those surgeries. He's never completely in the light for very long. A lot of his scenes there, half his face is always covered up in shadow and lighting. They never hold his face in a shot by itself for very long. He's edited out quickly. I wonder what the discussion is to have his face like this right here, half in shadow. Because you don't see that all the time. Like, how many times do you just see people's face always in half? And I wouldn't be surprised if it was some stupid effing stylistic choice. You know, we'll obscure him in the shadows to show, you know, you know how he's on the dark side of the internet. It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> That's probably the kind of dribble you need to spout to get Terry Hatcher and Eva, or Eva Longoria. So, uh, hey, can, we, yeah, can we just say that Stephen K. bedded 
Terry Hatcher and Eva Longoria? Like, that's amazing. It's weird. Wow. I got to Google what he looks like. Oh, dude. He, oh, my goodness. He bats way above his average. Oh, you, you got a picture of him? Yeah. Craig's on the uh, K. <laughs> Had to be the 90s. He must be a tripod. All right. <laughs> All right. So here's Michael Caine meeting the Jack Carter character. So, of course, the big thing for everyone here is we all know that he played this character 20 years previous or 29 years previous. So it's exciting for the Get Carter fanatics to watch this torch passing, so to speak. And it should be noted there was a plan for a sequel to this movie. Thank God. Really? It should be noted, too, that this movie had 11% Rotten Tomato rating. That's pretty low. Is it? <laughs> yeah. You don't say. <laughs> and the other thing of note here, but this movie did have some accolades. The film was nominated for worst. <laughs> Can you believe it, Doug? Worst actor. The Razzies? <laughs> On the Razzies? That's right. So again, it's still alone. Wait, there, was, there was another one, one that I never heard of. At the 2000 Stinkers Bad Movie Awards, <laughs> the film received four nominations. Worst Picture, Worst Director, Worst Actor, and Worst Remake or Sequel. Yeah, right. 2000 Stinkers Bad Movie Awards. You ever uh, hear that? No, that's a new one. I wonder if they're still around. Let's just check that real quick. Are they still around? Los Angeles-based group of film buffs and movie critics devoted to honoring the worst films of the year. I don't think it's as illustrious as the no, Razzies. As, as the Razzie, no, no they like- stopped in 2006. <laughs> you know, They couldn't take down the Razzies. They stopped in 2006. They just love the rag on Stallone. I don't know why. Yeah, they do. Because he wasn't even the worst thing about this film. It's not, it's not really his fault. It was a misdirection, bad editing, terrible dialogue. I mean, maybe it's well, his and, fault for choosing it. But As much as I hate to say it, Jack Carter's not that great of a character. He's got that, you know, those two catchphrases, I'm Jack Carter and you don't want to know me. <laughs> sure. Um, and the other one, which I actually think is pretty cool, and I think John C. McGinley makes a joke about it when he says, we can take this to the next level which I thought was a funny line. But I mean, aside from that, he's not that interesting of a character. The other thing I think we could have got is some kind of flashback or something establishing the relationship he had with his brother because John C. McGinley points out that his brother wasn't that great of a guy. And obviously they didn't have a great relationship. And Jack's doing this almost out of a sense of loyalty to family. Agreed. There was a scene where Jack Carter goes to the widow Geraldine, was that her name? Yeah, that no. was um, Miranda no. Richardson's, right? That was Liam Neeson's wife? No, that's Natasha Richardson. Richardson's. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Then who the heck is Miranda Richardson? She's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, she's done a, a very career between theaters, movies, and TV. So she's a very busy actress, but she's just never reached the... I don't know why I thought she was the Liam Neeson wife. I think just the last name, maybe. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Same with Rachel A. Cook. She's 40 years old now, so she was 20 when this movie came out. And she's had a big career, too, if you look at her credits. But they're all kind of just... a lot of voice work. Her last TV performance was 2020's Criminal Minds. She's been in some music videos. She's done a lot of... Yeah, she plays Tifa Lockhart in the video games franchise. That's She's yeah. the voice actress for that. Do you remember prior to She's All That, her big breakout? Josie and a Pussycat? No, no. She did that, you know, one of those This Is Your Brain on Drugs commercials. Oh. Did she? With the egg in the frying pan. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Brain on drugs are yummy. (laughs) (laughs) You guys know CinemaScore, right? Yes. What I like about CinemaScore is... For better, for worse, what they do is they actually pull people when they're leaving the theater. So it's like their initial 
type reaction. So what I like about them, it, even more than Rotten Tomatoes, this is my feeling, is because they're pulling the average audience member right after they've seen the film. Whereas a critic is there to you know pick and pull apart and analyze. Whereas a moviegoer with the popcorn and their kids or whatever, they come out of the theater like, oh yeah, we had a lot of fun. It was great. Well, what would you give it on a score of A plus to F, right? That's the scale. Mm-hmm. For many films, most people are pretty positive. Just they had a good time. They had a fun watching the movie because they paid money. They went to the movies. However, <laughs> the average audience member who came out of this movie when they were pulled by CinemaScore got a D plus. So that's very telling. You got these people walking out of the movie. And they're just not happy. In all honesty, he shoots a guy in the back. Mm-hmm. Now, understandably, you know, Michael Caine says, I'm not going to turn around or whatever. I'm not going to justify your gun. And he shoots him in the back. But still, at the end of the day, the movie ends with our hero, quote unquote hero, shooting somebody in the back. True. Who was it? It was the director or the studio that wanted a toned down version? I think the studio wanted kind of a more of a romp and stomping type action film. And I think the director wanted to follow the original script of a dark revenge film. All right. Look at films like Taken or Man on Fire, where these guys, it's just take no prisoners kind of thing. Like you want answers. You want to to get revenge on the people that hurt your family or hurt you. You kill everybody that's in your way without question. And I think this movie would have benefited from that type of violence. Exactly. And I think you brought up a good point is that's what this film should have been. That's what I mean. The body count was two. Yeah. Is it? possibly the worst car chase in history i don't necessarily enjoy car chases but when these kicked in i sped up my video player to like times two or three just to get through it like yeah 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 and they probably looked like exciting car chases because the one that culminates in that crash it's one of the worst car chases ever it's just two guys like swerving in and out of traffic yeah yeah Um, it's like a dance more than a chase it's weird they play chicken Oh, yeah. <laughs> the whole idea is the bad guys say, oh, I I don't want to get hit head on. So that's when they go to the side and get stuck in a stairwell. <laughs> Terrible. So for those who voted for this film, thank you. We want to make it known that we put this film up for our poll on our Twitter and our Facebook page. And Get Carter won. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have been talking about shade right now. Thank you. <laughs> we'll get there. Oh, man. <laughs> we could have so, been looking at Thandie Newton in uh, S&M gear, but no. <laughs> you bastards! <laughs> It should have been a straight-up type Taken film or a Man on Fire. Those are amoral heroes, like especially the Denzel Washington character of Man on Fire. That's a great film. And yeah, it is. here we're kind of conflicted. He shoots a guy in the back at the end of the film, and we're not led to believe he'll kind of be that way. He should have broken that girl's arm when he went to the apartment. That's what the movie would have been today. I would have rather he came back like a John Wick type. You know what? Like Laser-focused. Yeah, you killed yeah. my brother. I work for the mob. I am not a good person. Like, Unforgiven did that, right? I am not a good person. I might be the main character in this story, but you have killed somebody who's my family. You raped my niece, and I work for a mob in Las Vegas. So I'm coming to Seattle. I'm going to break arms. I'm going to throw people off balconies. I'm going to shoot people in the back. I'm going to get the information I need. Revenge, and he goes home. That would have been a different, yeah. Maybe some elements of torture, like in Taken. Hooks that guy up to the light bulb and electrocutes him. Oh, man. Let's hear this interplay with uh, Michael Caine. We want, to, we want to get a soundbite of Michael Caine is uh, acting with uh, Sly here. Can you hold on a second? Can I help you with something? I'm Jack Carter, Richie's brother. I'm uh, sorry I wasn't at the funeral. Would you like some uh, coffee or something? 
No, I'm fine, thanks. It's a good luck, Richie was. Saved my ass a lot of money just by doing a solid job. So how long was he running this place for you? Well, since we've been up. About five years. Five years and no problems? None. No enemies? There's something you're not telling me. Yeah. What the bloody hell does that mean? Just relax. Listen, I don't like hard cases coming in here and talking to me like I know something. If there's someone out there putting out something about me, then I want to know who the hell it is. And when I know what it is and who's been saying it, I might just take the matter up with you, Jack. Mightn't I? Mightn't I? big man. So British. But you're out of shape with me. It's a full-time job, so please sit down. What did he say there? You're a... Jack Carter's insult him. Oh, you're a large man, but you're out of shape or something. Oh. And staying in shape is a full time job. Or uh, he's always got to do a little bit. Of, did you notice that, Craig? Yeah, he, the l- he's little bit of a to shame people. <laughs> body, body shame. <laughs> the body shame in Stallone. It did happen a lot in his. Let's be honest. In his '90s career and his the in here in 2000, we've we've said that in a few of the films here where he has body shamed people or diet shamed them. The body shaming and the diet shaming. It, I wish we had we known when we'd gone back and revisited these old Sly films if we should have tallied and kept a log of the. <laughs> you're a large man, but you're out of shape. Okay. Not like me. It's another funny line that I like when Jack Carter was talking to Miranda Richardson. said, What was your relationship like with your husband before the accident? I <laughs> Did you catch that? <laughs> He said before the accident, he had to clarify. Can you imagine if she's well, I got oh, to say, right I, after the accident, we never fought. Yeah, we know it's been quiet. <laughs> we never fought. And then the following day, they were having a conversation. It was horrible dialogue. Her delivery of her dialogue was terrible. She really did phone it in Miranda Richardson. I know she was given really crap dialogue, but you saw here with Michael Caine that we just showed that even when you're given kind of crap, you just kind of bring it, you know? And Michael Caine can yeah. bring it. Even with the crappy whatever, he just brings that... British, you might not. Where Miranda Richardson was, she was lethargic and boring. Hardboard. She says to Stallone's character, she said, I just don't know if I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. You literally lost your husband like a week ago. Yeah, yeah. Let's tone down the rest of your life's talk. But she was talking to him like she's been alone for five or six years after the death of a spouse. You know what I mean? It was a weird, you're still in mourning. I don't think the funeral was just held the day ago and you're talking about being alone for the rest of your life. Yeah, his Um, body's not even cold. One of my favorite lines in the film was, oh, I'm not too sure it was done by, to be honest with you. Mickey Rourke, I think, did it. it says, He's got a couple of good ones. Yeah, he said you're a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He had another good one. The rabbit's out of the hat, Jack. Let's see if it jumps. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those are cheesy, just awful lines. Throughout the film, Jack Carter is trying to have a relationship with the niece kind of be there for her. She's just lost her dad. She's family. You know, that's fine. I, I get the motive. What I'm confused about is at the end of the film, he, you know, shaves his goatee and, she, you know, there's a comment like, oh, and I like your like your new look and all of that stuff. It's kind of stupid they even make that an issue. What I want to know is why couldn't he have a relationship with her? Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> your guess is as good as any of ours. Maybe the sequel would have gotten into that. Oh, okay. You were robbed of it. Don't say that again. <laughs> We're robbed of it. The great tragedies of our time. <laughs> I had no idea this was a Christmas film. Mm-hmm. Starting next Christmas season, I'm going to put Get Carter in for the... <laughs> oh, Jesus. You do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, mark my words. There was more Christmas carols and Christmas trees in this film than there is in Die Hard, to be honest with you. I'd rather not. I'm going to hold you to that, Brian. I'm going to make sure you watch this epic movie around Christmas. 
Well, I'm not watching it. I'm just talking about it. (laughs) I know we didn't talk too much about Alan Cummings' character, Mm. but can you play the golf course, Why I Like Golf monologue? That's a great monologue. You're playing it fast and loose with the word great, aren't we? (laughs) It's weird because he's kind of afraid of Jack Carter because it's a big guy and he's, he's a no mafia enforcer or whatever, mob enforcer. But then out of the blue, he kind of gives this analogy of, I can get rid of people that I don't like. It was an odd analogy or metaphorical threat to the guy that's going to threaten your life. It was almost like the writers had a great metaphor about something, but they wanted to throw it in, but it didn't quite fit. What What are we talking about here? It was like it's, in his notebook of cool lines. But it's it's not cool. It doesn't fit. It's not a great metaphor by any means. It's, it's ridiculous. Tell us how you really feel, Doug. <laughs> I like his character, and I like Alan Cummings. I think he's a great actor. Mm-hmm. But this is just, it's just shoehorned, it seems like, this empty threat that he gives him here. Mr. Carter, he calls him Mr. Carter the whole time. Too. Yeah, Mr. Carter. Yeah. Things like golf and girls become pretty important, you know? But they don't go real well with the glasses and pocket protector image my stockholders prefer. So? So he pulls for you. That's a funny scene there. <laughs> I'm on the cart. I don't know why that makes you laugh. <laughs> you know why I like golf, Mr. Carter? Because the ball just keeps going away. The only sport where you hit that little sucker and it doesn't come back at you. I've got to want to go after it and get it. And when I get to it, I just knock it away again. <laughs> See what I'm saying, Mr. Carter? No, actually. <laughs> Once I get rid of it, I never want to see it again. You hit it and then you just walk up to it and it's there. So you do see it again and you hit it again. I, I don't understand what he's getting at. Plus there's this threatening music bed underneath <laughs> what he's saying. Who are you threatening, you little waif? Is he saying to him, like, you go away? Yeah. Like, don't yeah, bother me much. anymore? Okay. And he's really just talking about the 18th hole, right? <laughs> yeah, because otherwise you see the ball again. <laughs> After the threat, there's this little... It shows him driving. Like, how does that conversation go? And the threat's done. Now it just shows him driving to the clubhouse, I guess. In terms of Seattle movies, is this the most Seattleist movie? Um, I know Assassins took place, part of it took place in Seattle, right? But this movie, it's raining all the time, which is what I've heard about Seattle. Seven, it takes place in Seattle. Oh, right. Seven might be the most Seattle, Seattleist movie. It rains in every scene but the last one. There was another uh, Alan Cummings moment when uh, he goes to his house or whatever, and there's that big burly guy there, and he calls him a cappuccino. <laughs> that actually yeah, made me laugh at that part. Great foam. Yeah, yeah. That big jacked up, like... Uh, and then that guy gets... Uh, Sly beats him up later in the movie. Just one pun. Yeah. yeah. They, uh, Nobody likes the list guy. That was the joke. And it's like a jump uh, cut, too, so you don't even... See, the guy disappears. It, yeah, It's like yeah. magic. <laughs> like he hits him and the guy's gone. It's like, poof. They, if you put a poof sound effects, it's like a magic trick. Do you want to do the elevator scene? Is that like the largest elevator in movie history? There is one part in this scene. This is actually, for me, the best part of the whole film. Not just the scene. The camera trick or the story trick of him showing oh, in like his mind the different... happened. That's yeah. fine. That's kind of cliche. We've seen oh, it before yeah. in films. But actually, there's a scene in this sequence that had the patterned the whole film, after this kind of energy, it would have been a different film. This elevator is like studio apartments in New York. <laughs> it's a bad time, God. Boy, you're telling me. Remember, Peter, don't The you? elevator Christmas music? Yeah. Say, Jack, when I said you take care of the business or the business will take care of you, 
did we have a bad connection on the cell? Maybe you weren't listening. Doesn't matter, does it? Hey, Sport, I was real sorry to hear about you and Audrey. What are you gonna do? He's the big dog. There's no way around that. He gets the girl, Jack. You get what you get. It's actually a good line. He gets the girl. I like that. We'll talk about that actually after. We've got to mention his girlfriend with the boss. Okay, I'll show you the scene that I'm talking about. It's coming up. here i love that sequence of sly i've never seen him in a film ever since then kick somebody like that that violent kicking like the stomp yes and this is what i was talking about before at the very beginning of this episode mm. of the wasted years that we've had a Sly. and i know he's wanted to do a mafia film before like he was he's wanted to do um scarpa this would have been the perfect age the perfect stage in his career to attack that kind of role and this movie teased me anyways as a sly fan because i am a fan of his but i think most fans who are truly fans of his are frustrated by his career choices frustrated about some of the movies he's done where it's like instead of doing this film i guess hindsight's twenty twenty for everyone including actors it's just like that sequence of him just when he's just over that character throws him in punches him and this would have been a great sequence from like like a goodfellas type film it reminds me of Tommy DeVito and Jimmy Conway beating up Billy Bats in the bar because Jimmy Conway, who's Robert De Niro's character, starts Billy Bats in Goodfellas. When you mentioned it, I didn't notice it when I first watched it, but when you mentioned it, that's kind of what it reminded me of. Goodfellas has Hollywood or cinema's greatest party ever, which was the Billy Bats Welcome Home Party. (laughs) Sure. sure. It's like the best party ever. There was like three guys there. (laughs) Welcome Home Party. Well, you wanted to mention his relationship with the girlfriend. That actress was played by Gretchen Mole. But the mobster, voiced by... We never see the mobster. Tom Sizemore. Tom Sizemore. Yeah. They should have fleshed out his character. But he's a great mobster. Type. Yeah. The frustrating thing about that is you don't even need that whole part. Right, with her. It shows that Jack's having a relationship with somebody that he's not supposed to be having a relationship with. There's no consequence to it. It's another unnecessary moment it fleshes out the jack carter character a little bit but i mean it adds nothing to the story you could argue that it shows that the life he has back in vegas isn't as great as we believe it to be at the beginning of the movie maybe that's the sequel because we know the movie ends with him looking at a map going back to vegas yeah jack's back is the sequel jack carter to jack's back jack's back oh yeah would it have been called get carter 2 or got carter Got Carter. <laughs> Maybe just Carter. You know, Stallone loves those arbitrary sequel titles. Right. It probably would have just been called Carter. Maybe it would have been yeah. called Get. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't give him some stupid effing nickname that incorporated Get. Like Carter will get you. Oh, my God. Oh, man. <laughs> well, okay, let's talk about that. It's called Get Carter. We know in the English language, get means take or it's over there, bring it here, call for Carter, get him. Now, that makes sense for the first maybe two minutes of the film when he was utilized as his mob enforcer. His job is to, what was it, people make promises. Is his job to remind them of those promises or whatever. That opening sequence is him doing that, that he's enforcing the loan shark or whatever it might be. 
the title Get Carter doesn't make sense for the rest of the movie. We really can't blame this movie for that because it's the remake of Get Carter from 71, so I don't know how much getting is done there. They should have played it safe and named it after the book and not the movie. And then they could say Carter comes home. Ah, that makes more sense. Home was Seattle. Oh, okay. He was raised in this area. He left it for Las Vegas, but he came back to take care of his brothers, you know, the revenge of his brother's death. A simple revenge flick would have been much more satisfying. A Carter's revenge. Sure. Again, when you watch the trailer as the way it's cut, it's designed like a Guy Ritchie film. Like yeah. like a snatch mixed with Fight Club, that type of it's not that at all. It tries to be this neo noir it's supposed to be I, like know, a smart thriller, but it's neither smart nor a thriller. I had that feeling. So I looked up the cinematographer, um, Moro Fiore. Oh, wow. And I thought that it had that feel. There was one. Did that dude work on some of those he, movies? No, that's what I, I was expecting. He worked on Smoking Aces. Oh, that which great I great movie. Get, yes, I, I thought of Smoking Aces. That's that 2000s, 1998 to 2002 type films. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that Smoking Aces was 06, but it, it yeah. did oh, have that. My, my <laughs> I felt the same way that it had that kind of feel. Maybe Moro Fiore took a page out of Guy Ritchie's cinematographer's yeah. book. Smoking Aces, by the way, the best Chris Pine performance you'll ever see. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Get in Smoking Aces, you might not recognize him. He's exceptional in that movie. Smoking Aces is a really cool, fun film. Mm. I wish we were talking about it right now. <laughs> well we're not <laughs> we're not well we run out of slime movies to do which we're going to do eventually right let's add smoke and aces to the list of movies that we'll cover i you promise should. you we will <laughs> mark today as the day we agree to that i want to uh show this scene here this is for one of our faithful listeners uh believe it or not sequel you know you all know sequel right oh yeah yeah, he's a listener of all of our shows. He listens to Slycast, he listens to Rocky Minute. In fact, he sent me a, a screenshot of our uh, dual release there, Craig, because he's got both you and I on the same feed. And he's like, I don't know which one to download from. <laughs> so that, I thought that was funny. Well, and they are different because we basically flipped the interviews. That's right. Oh. Um, I actually saved mine best for last. It looks like you did the same for yours. <laughs> yeah, like, I actually listened to when I downloaded the the episode to listen to because I do listen to my episodes. I downloaded from your feed, Ryan. Oh, I downloaded yours as well. So there you go. Fair play, Seiko. Oh, Seiko. He wanted to make sure that we acknowledge this acting performance by Sly when he cries. So let's play that a little bit for Seiko. This is for you, Seiko. He says this is his favorite moment in the movies. Sly cry. The character Jack Carter has seen the uh, video of his niece being sexually assaulted. He's now seeing her for the first time after seeing that video and kind of letting her know in a really 2054 year old man way that you know you're a sexual assault victim and I know about it and I want to comfort you but he doesn't just say it it's kind of like alluded to she finally catches on oh you know what that I've been assaulted it's supposed to be a tender moment between niece and uncle here he tells her you're special he looks up at the skies and cries a little bit none of this is your fault you gotta believe that no 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 no, no. none of this is your fault none of it there you go so that's for you Seiko Mm-hmm. <laughs> Powerful moment, Oscar moment. Now, is that shark skin suit waterproof? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Without a doubt, yes. Mike Kunda has this suit. Yes, I think he did it for I think Halloween, probably around that time. I know he's posted it on either his Twitter or his Facebook. 
During the Pretender, he was going through his wardrobe of sly clothing that he owns. The gray suit was part of his wardrobe. Yeah, well, you know, in another universe, Mike has a successful Get Carter tour in Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Filming locations. Filming locations. (laughs) (laughs) This is where Carter puts the gun to the face of Cyrus here in the fight. And Mickey Rourke... Great looks acting dead. here. He looks pretty dead, but he's not. But they told him, hey, make your work. Don't move anything in your face. And he's like, don't worry. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, I did hear more of a gunshot sound there. I think he killed him. A better film would have shown the gun go off. Because mm-hmm. he did kill Eddie off that balcony. Yeah, yeah but there were no witnesses. This. Here he's going to shoot somebody in the face. In the middle of a smoking rave. They're all too tripping to uh, notice anyway. How do you think they filmed that shot? There had to be, was there a cutaway in the floor? I don't know. I would love to see the behind the scenes of this movie more than anything. Would you, though? Really? (laughs) Right now, I would. (laughs) Ask me again in an hour, and I'm I'm not so sure. So here's Alan Cummings doing the greatest act of his career, pretending to be straight. (laughs) With his Gilligan hat on. (laughs) This was another thing that brought me back to the 90s is when Stallone's kicking his ass, um, his hat, he's not wearing his hat. And he's got like the blonde top, like the frosted <laughs> top of his hair, but everything else is brown. Everybody's getting their comeuppance. He spares this Kinnear guy. He does spare the uh, the mogul dude. Yeah, the computer dude. He psychologically defeats that guy. Yeah, I thought there was going to be a trickle of piss coming down his pant leg yeah, or something. Pretty much. I mean... You mentioned how they sort of they added sequences to get Michael Caine, you know, less likable. So weird seeing him ruffling through or Carter's car. And the fact that like Carter would just leave that DVD just sitting in his car. It doesn't make any sense. What's it matter that he gets a copy of that? Is that the only copy out there? No. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you're right. Doesn't matter. <laughs> the DVD shows again what? Just the sexual assaults happening? Yeah, yeah. Michael Caine's character, he was the one that killed, made it happen that his brother gets killed, right? He was the one pulling all the strings. Okay. Why didn't he just shoot Jack Carter in the office the moment he walked in? (laughs) (laughs) Are you trying to ask for logic? Jack would ask enough questions. He would ultimately be satisfied that his brother did die in a drunk driving accident Mm. and go home. The fact that Michael Caine's character had him taken out you know, under the ruse of a drunk driving accident shows that he doesn't really like to be too theatrical about what he does. It's not like he was found, you know, shot up in the street. Okay. I'll allow it. <laughs> Get Carter there, guys. Um, mm-hmm. I saw it for the, in the theater 20 years ago. Watched it again for, for the review of the film. I think we did a piss poor job. Apologize to our listeners. I knew this would be a dangerous film to review as I was watching it because... When we talked about Copland, we had so much great stuff to talk about. You know, the scenes with Robert De Niro and you blew it. You know, like we were, you know, <laughs> there were so many like different moments that we we all couldn't wait to talk about. Even the movie like Assassins or or then again, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Because it was such a dumpster fire that there's just so much to talk about. 
the danger of this film is it's just on that precipice of like, huh? It's not horrible. There's some good scenes. There's some moments where you're like, you could have done. Michael Caine was good. Stallone was fine with what he was given. We're just dealing with a muddling, oddly shot, weird soundtrack. I, I don't know. And there's moments where I was just frustrated where this could have been a, a revenge mafia revenge film with Sly in his 50s. That would have been perfect, like an aging mafia guy. Oh, that would have been awesome. But no, we get this. It's just frustrating. It's Frustrating is a good word for it because the bones of a great movie are here, but they really didn't put anything of substance behind that. Like seeing Stallone in a man on fire type of revenge, just rampage. Who wouldn't love to see that? I think he could pull it off. He can pull it off. That's why as a fan of Sly's, I'm so frustrated by him sometimes that he didn't do some of these roles. Like Al Pacino did it. Robert De Niro did it. He, we can't blame him for this one, though. No, but what I mean by it is like choosing roles that are dark. Robert he De Niro he chose the darker role, but then the director kind of tainted down. But even after this film, okay, this one didn't work out because like De Niro does like uh, Cape Fear. He plays a maniacal. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be cool to see Sly like a Cape Fear, like psychotic killer? Yes, it totally would. Uh, yeah, he, he really limited himself by choosing, you know, kind of certain kind of role. Yeah, we, we have Rocky and we have the Rambo, the Patriot Rambo. We have the uh, Down as Luck un- underdog Rocky. Okay, Sly, you've got those. Like, mm-hmm. that's fine. Now embrace the dark characters that are in you. Because, again, that scene in this movie gives you a two-second snippet of what this movie could have been of just like an ass-kicking revenge movie of just like beating down people and oh anyways it's over <laughs> it is over all right why don't you uh, plug your shows there guys all right well i'm uh, one of the hosts of rocky minute uh we're covering the movie rocky movies one minute at a time we have seasons one and two in the bag and we're currently recording for season three coming out this year sometime i'm craig cohen and you can hear me on uh, as a guest on rocky minute season one and two and also upcoming season three and you can also hear me monthly on this Stallone Podcast Network. Two times a year, I serve up an episode of Slycast. Depending on when you're listening <laughs> to this, you might be in proximity to one of the two Slycast episodes. And you can find Slycast on Facebook, Twitter, if you just search uh, Slycast. I'm always remiss if I don't say these two guys are great, Doug and Craig. It's a true honor and privilege to podcast with you guys. I have the honor of editing these uh, behemoth of episodes. But when I say that, I listen back. And I'm like, man, these guys are good. They, every time they talk, they sound good. And I wonder if I'm the annoying one in the threesome. So, Nonsense. Well, I appreciate that. Not at all. Hey, we just both released yesterday, as of this recording, discussions we've had about Creed 2 that are from when Creed 2 was in theaters. So it, it makes for a really interesting listen, in my opinion. And I got to say, Ryan, they're both great discussions. Uh, one with myself and Mike Kunda. I had forgotten a lot of the beats we hit when we talked about Creed 2, Ryan. And we go into some great, great territory there. There is a an excellent discussion related to the desert training sequence where you come up with a great cameo opportunity. So if you haven't listened to that Creed 2 discussion, discussion yet it's on both of our feeds it's really really worth it because ryan i enjoyed the heck out of listening back to that thanks brother appreciate that 
Ryan of the uh, Going the Distance, the Rocket Series podcast. We're currently on season six covering Rocky Balboa. Uh, we're nearing sort of the end. We've got about a half hour to go in that film. After we cover Rocky Balboa, we are going to cover the Creeds. The thoroughness of that is still in the air. And also take a listen to, if you haven't already, the Worst of the Best podcast. It's a fun one, I think. And uh, stay safe, guys. Stay safe out there in this COVID-19 environment. You as well. Yeah, you too, guys. All right. I'm stopping this. All right.